0: pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Hannah Ferguson from KT Literary. She has been generous enough to join us in the Academy headquarters. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So how did you get started in publishing? So it's a little bit of a roundabout story. I originally went to school for film and television, and that was my goal. And um, about... Two to three months before I was ready to pack up and move to L.A. and make that make that happen. Um, My partner got a call from a company in New York asking him to move out here and work. And I was like, okay, well, there's not quite the same um, industry in New York for what I want to do. And so publishing was always sort of a second choice um, career for me. I'd always been a writer and I knew a little bit about it for that reason. And so I started looking for remote internships with literary agencies um, as a reader and managed to get one and fell head over heels in love with, you know, reading manuscripts and giving editorial feedback. And as I moved further into the publishing industry as an assistant and um, so on, I learned all of the various aspects of being an agent and fell in love with those too, so... Yeah, <laughs> it's funny how being an agent is the sort of thing that you can describe to people, but until they've actually experienced it, it's really hard for them to know what it's actually like. When people who are not in publishing or have never studied anything about publishing ask me what I do, it's very hard to describe it mm-hmm. until it's like, you know, uh, until I say the keyword, and if the keyword is different for everybody but there's a keyword that makes everyone go, Oh, okay. So you're not a publisher, like, you don't publish books yourself, Mm -hmm. or you're not, you know, um, a self publishing advocate of some kind. Like a lot of people think that people in, I'm from Colorado. And so people in a small town will often say, so you help people get like self publish their work. Like you help people like do that because you're not, you're not a publisher. We don't understand what it is you do. So that's the only other context we have. Yeah, and then I feel like it's it's not terribly complicated to understand the mechanics of the job once you explain. I think the emotional yeah. aspect is the part that's always like, it's always moving, it's always changing. Um, yeah. You're involved with people's lives and their creative lives and their work and um, all the things that can happen um, on the road to publication and beyond. Yeah, trying to explain to somebody that you take on work that you love and that you have to... Kind of make a decision as you're as you're considering it about whether or not it's something you think you could also sell is complicated and confusing Mm -hmm. because it is that that passion that comes first, that creative love for a project and then everything else you have to make sure that it that all comes into play, too. I was thinking last night that a lot of people don't understand that just because we like something doesn't mean we'll take it on. Yeah. And that's hard. Those are the projects that are hard to say no to, the ones mm-hmm. that you really do like. And, you know, I often come across that that rejection I have to send where I say that I, I really like this and I have no idea what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. <laughs> I think that happens to me a lot with books that don't neatly fit into a box. Mm-hmm. That could perhaps neatly fit into seven or eight boxes. Right. Um, that's kind of what I like to read. So, (laughs) so I can see why it would happen that I end up attracting works like that. But that's one of the harder things to say that, you know, I think this could be very successful in a vacuum, but the way everything's set up, it's really hard for people to promote something without knowing what the meta tags would be for this, or that there have to be 50 to make any sense of it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very difficult. I mean, I tend to take on projects that are a little bit outside the box because that is just what I love. And I'm really lucky that several of them have landed and landed well. Um, but that's, it's a gamble, you know, it's, you never know if that's actually going to happen or not. And we were talking earlier about something you're working on. And when you mentioned the editor's name, I said, oh, my gosh, I love her. Because the way she looks at books that have a certain amount of dark humor and a really interesting world and a new twist on scary stuff, Mm -hmm. it makes me really care about her and her work um, because it feels so brave. Yes. Yes. And I think that, uh, I mean, as a younger um, or I guess as a I guess younger editor is okay to say, but as a younger editor and. The deal isn't announced yet, so I'll refrain from saying her name and the and the title of the book. But but it's really cool, you guys. It's really cool. Um, but as the younger editor, she I think is able to. She's not. Um, I don't know what the word what the right word is, but maybe jaded or maybe that's not right. I think she comes in with fresh eyes. That's a good way to put it. She comes in with really fresh eyes, and um, and she just has a unique take on. On books and her editorial vision, and I think that's really cool. And that's that's more in line with the kinds of things that I'm taking on, hoping that someone will see them the way that I see them and and love them the way I love them, despite their offbeatness. So she gave me a book that was so strange and so funny and so dark and so many amazing things all at once. Really? That I actually was emailing her. I was like, oh my gosh, is this the killer? Wait, no, it couldn't be. <laughs> and then she'd be like, wait and see. So what do you do when you're not working? Yeah, it's that's a hard question because I I love what I do, so I do it a lot, but I also, I write. Um, I am a, a, an agented writer myself, and so I'm working towards that, um, and then I also do a podcast of my own. Ooh, tell is, us about that. Yeah, it's about women in history. And my co-host is Deanna Greif, and she is an actress, and she's in casting. Um, and we met in Colorado way, way back. So we we have a good rapport, I think. And um, yeah, it's called Good Witches, Bad Rhymes with Witches. And it's just a lot of fun. And every week we talk about, um, we tell each other about someone from history. And she doesn't know who I'm going to talk about, and I don't know who she's going to talk about. And it's really fun to... Hear how the other person is going to take it, and um, yeah, we did some really fun ones for Halloween recently about witches and the witch trials. Over the course of, I think it was two or three centuries, um, about they they estimate between thirty and sixty thousand people, mostly women, were brutally killed like tortured and brutally killed. Um, so it's really, it's really kind of intense and heavy, but there's also one of our episodes is about um, the affair of the poisons, which was oh. a, a, a witch trial that happened in France about 10 years before the Salem witch trials and killed many more people. So it's interesting. There's so much history that, you know, we, we focus on, but then all this other stuff falls to the cracks and we get to talk about that. So I know you also watch Buffy in your spare time. Oh yes, in <laughs> my <laughs> spare time for the last twenty years. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, God, yeah. That that show kind of raised me in a way. Like I discovered it at a very pivotal time in my life um, as a twelve-year-old girl, and uh, I think I watch it every year since then. And there, it has problematic. It it, it, it does. is problematic. And I see it more and more with every rewatch, but I still think that there is something really special about the way it portrays the power of teenage girls Mm -hmm. and femininity and, um, just like, you know, queer relationships. And, and I think the key is like being able to recognize it's problematic Mm -hmm. elements and then appreciating it for what it gets. Right. Why do you think it's still something that we're still thinking about and asking for and using as a comp? And it's been like 20 years, right? Yeah. I can't believe it's been 20 years. It's been 20 freaking years. And I mean, I think, I think it's because of its main basic premise, which is like when Joss was first conceiving of it, his only real idea was to have the, the blonde, super feminine cheerleader who normally gets killed be the one saving the day. Yeah. And that was the basic premise, mm-hmm. but it turned into a really beautiful show about a girl growing up mm-hmm. and at the same time discovering that she has power in the world and also doesn't have power in a lot of ways that she would like to. Mm-hmm. And It had so many metaphors for things that we deal with and things that we go through. And I think a lot of shows have tried to recreate that, but have failed in a lot of ways, in part because they're not, they aren't tapping into that teenageness Mm -hmm. that Buffy got right. Mm -hmm. They're not, they don't quite get there. And it tapped into a kind of teenage world at a very specific time in a very specific way. Yes. And I feel like that specificity is something that is so hard to pull off. I feel like I'm always telling writers be more specific, make sure every sentence in your query, your first page can only describe your book. Yeah. Um, And I think that sometimes the more specific you are, the more universal you are. Yeah. But like just on another level, it makes you Feel good. Like, I, I have to say, like, half the time I'm at the gym and just zoning out, I'm pretending I'm Buffy. Like, oh, I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, I can totally flip around like that. I, you know, that guy does, that guy does, you know. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I really I wish know. someone would make like a theme. Like, why there isn't virtual reality exercise right now is completely beyond me because that would be who doesn't want the Buffy experience? Oh, my God. And it's probably really good for you, too, to be like, look, you're powerful. You've experienced it. Now you have proof that you are powerful, too. You know, that's a brilliant idea. and You probably should um, patent that. The liability assurance would be through the roof. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, <welfare. laughs> okay. All right. Well, hopefully someone else will take this and run with it. I would also, for whoever's listening to this and makes it happen, I would also like a spy experience. I think oh, that would yes. be really cool. Um, oh I want God. to crawl through a vent with child actually having to feel it. I want to dangle from the ceiling. I want to get a diamond, return it the next day. Okay. Um, you know, yeah. all that stuff I think would be a really valuable experience. Going on the lasers, it. that's got to be really good for flexibility and strength. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. hmm I like it. Hopefully they don't actually zap you. Like, wouldn't it be funny if there were, like, little biofeedback zaps? <laughs> oh, my God. You it to, could like get like, so wear things on your body. Electrodes. Oh, yeah. no. I think you could. I feel like that's taking it a little far. Well, you don't want to actually hurt anybody who's doing it, but <laughs> yeah. you want them to feel like they're in a world as much as possible, I think. Oh, no. I Someday. Feel like there's problems, but we'll work them out. I, I think it's, yeah. Yeah. I would guess that in 15 years something like this will exist. What would you do in an alternate universe with no publishing? I would probably go back to TV. My, my dream for a long time was to write for television, which was a big part of why I, I when I ended up in New York, I had to switch gears a little bit because there isn't really writing for television out here. Like mm-hmm. there's a little bit, there's some late night, but you know, I wanted to do drama, you know, I wanted to do Buffy. Yeah. So, um, Oh, that'd be so fun. Yeah. So like if, if publishing didn't exist and I wasn't here, that's probably the direction I would have gone. I will say that I, every story I hear from people in that industry makes me glad I didn't mm-hmm. end up in it. Yeah. Um, I think it's just, I think it has a lot of, um, work to do and, more more even than publishing seems to at times, but you know. But yeah, that's probably, that's probably the direction I would've gone. It's amazing to me how many people in publishing also have an interest in film and TV and theater. You know, it's, they're so similar in a lot of ways. And, and my studies in film and writing for film have helped me exponentially in this industry. I mean, I, I didn't think that it would at all, but understanding structure in the way that you have to, when you're learning how to write for film and television gives you a much better understanding of structure of the, of the novel. Um, and that's something I've been able to use with clients and in a big way. And, um, I'm really glad about that that's actually a great lead-in to the fact that you have a class coming up all about structure i do i do and that's very exciting for me and hopefully for you <laughs> i like teaching you think i'm just gonna stand there and be like this is boring be better God, i hope not no Please don't no everyone's everyone' i'm like very easy to film with <laughs> don't worry I'm not just there like suck. I believe you. Oh my god! I don't no, think no. you would get people back. No, no, <laughs> no. And I know it's a scary thing to do, too. Yeah, but I think what's nice about about like going to conferences as an agent and doing things like that is you end up teaching a lot of classes in those settings, and so I feel like um, I feel like I'll do okay. I think you'll do great. Thank you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the things you'll cover? So one of the things that's really important to me with structure is making sure that characters are what is motivating the overall beats and story structure of your book, of your story. So that's something I'm going to talk about. Um, I want to talk about the beats of of your story for one, and then I'm going to talk about how your character motivates those beats and why, because that is something that um, I think I think writers struggle with sometimes is like knowing how to create your you know create an active character and make sure that they're influencing the story. And I think if you can look at it in terms of story beats and where certain turning points should be hitting and things like that, it might you know, clarify some of the, some of the ways you can make your character more active. At one point I noticed that in a lot of YA, whatever is the book cover promise, whatever the book jacket says is going to happen, it has to be in motion by page 50. Yep. And that to me was a surprising thing that was so quantifiable. Yes. And when it doesn't happen, you notice, you're not sure why, but something feels a little bit off. Yes. Yeah. In fact, whenever I'm giving feedback on, um, Stories, for example, that I'm giving an r to, or if I'm passing on a project, but, you know, I have specific feedback, often that's the feedback. You know, I want the story to begin at a certain point and it's usually within the first 50 pages because, um, otherwise there's, a, there's a point where you lose your, your reader. You just do. I've heard that one way of thinking about it is if you make a number, you, you number the chapters and then, if your character is happy at the beginning, you put a plus. And if they're happy at the end, you put them, or if happy, unhappy, you put a minus. And in theory, oh. within each chapter, your plus should switch to a minus or vice versa. I really like that. That's really cool. It's a really cool way to just chart it. And it looks like math, but it's not actually math. <laughs> it looks like math. <laughs> Give yourself some brownie oh, points for man. very basic <laughs> math. Yes. Yes. I like that. <laughs> No, that's a really really good um a really good way to kind of push your characters into behaving a certain way or having the circumstances of the novel impress themselves upon the character in a certain way i really think that finding your structure and understanding the beats of your story will help you find your unique story um and i know that maybe sounds counterintuitive but If you understand those beats and you understand those rules, I think that you will find you're better able to focus on those things that make your story unique and really fleshing them out. Because it is distracting when something isn't quite lining up, right? Yes. Yeah. It's kind of like if you have a really large photo that's zoomed out, sometimes cropping it will completely change the overall effect. Oh, totally. Yes. I really like the way you put that. I think about Photoshop and editing a lot. Like sometimes I'm like, turn up the saturation, like nothing's happening. It's just kind of gray. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I like that. I mean, it brings it back to the, the fact that so many people who have interest in visual mediums also have interest in, in novels. And I feel like using, using images and using terms from those mediums can help you understand what's not working in this one. It's interesting how sometimes you just need to find the right metaphor for someone to be like, Oh yes, I get it. I see it. Yeah. And you need that report with your clients. Another reason that you can't sign everything just because you like it. If don't. You don't have that report. You're not going to be able to work together. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, that's one of the reasons why the phone call is so important mm-hmm. because you get a sense of whether or not you vibe with that person. I mean, even just having a conversation and, 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 Figuring out how you communicate with that person can tell you a lot about how you will, you know, edit together, how you'll be as partners. So have you ever picked up the phone and known right away that it's like meant to be or absolutely not (laughs) meant to be? Yes. (laughs) Yes, I absolutely have. Yeah. I mean, if it's meant to be, those are always projects that I love. But even when it's not meant to be, sometimes those are projects that I desperately love and I will do my best to make those phone calls work anyway um but i think at the end of the day you know you as the writer you also know you you know how you feel um and it can come it can be very clear well and so much in any creative field has to be intuitive like you are picking up on more information than you can explain to yourself yep so sometimes i just hear someone's voice and i'm like ooh. Um, and yeah, those have been the situations I should not have pursued. Yeah. Well, I don't say I'm offering representation until well into the call. Yeah. Because then sometimes I just give them all the notes I have and say, good luck. Yeah. I feel like it is going to need a lot of work. That's my, Mm -hmm. that's my go-to. Yeah. I mean, there was a call, there was a call that I had with somebody that I thought it was going to be an R&R. And I had all my notes and I was planning on just giving them that and saying, you know, if you, if you want to do that, great. And then we had such a lovely call and we were so on the same page about her book and what it needed and where we both saw it going. And it it ended up being, I think at an hour and some, you know, some odd call. Yeah, it was, it was, it was very long for me anyway. And, um, it was just Lovely. And I ended up, I ended up offering her representation after that call. And it's been great. I mean, I, it it was very clear in the middle of that call that it was the right decision. And that was what I went with. I went with my gut and you know, you, you just don't know until you get on the phone. So what's something you wish writers knew about things on our side of the desk? Oh, gosh, I really wish. And I think a lot of writers do know this, but I wish that writers understood that we don't Want to reject them. I get a lot of responses um, to passes from queries from very disappointed people who I think, honestly, think that I enjoy rejecting them. And it makes me so sad because I know what rejection feels like. Part of my job is being rejected um, often for projects that I love. And so I get it. And I've been on that side too. I've queried, I've done, I've done that whole thing. And I know how much it it's difficult to put yourself out there and then to get a pass. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to know that if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. And you wouldn't want to be my client if I'm not feeling it. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and we just, we want The best for all of you. We want you all to to land somewhere that is right for you. And, you know, it's just, it's the nature of the, of the business, unfortunately, that rejection is a big part of it through all, all the steps all along the way. I also feel like there are so many agents out there that if I feel like I like something, but I'm not sure I fully understand it, I'm going to say no, not because I think there's something wrong with it, but because I think just because there are so many agents, statistically, someone's going to be a better fit Absolutely. Yes. I mean, that's a huge part of it. And the unfortunate thing is that we don't have a lot of time to tell you that. Mm -hmm. You know, the reason that form rejections exist is because we get so many queries and I can't sit down and personalize every single rejection. Unfortunately, it's just not within my budgeted time. And uh, I wish that there was a better system for that, but I don't have an assistant and queries are something that I do on my own time. They're not part of the time that I spend, you know, um, doing things as, as part of, um, being an agent. My priority is my clients. And, you know, it's just the unfortunate truth that queries kind of don't come at the top of the list. Mm -hmm. Um, but it has, it just has nothing to do with, with us wanting to rub it in your face or, or, oh, you know gosh, what I someone mean? someone said that. Oh gosh, I mean, people say some crazy things. I think the most common one I get is you just missed out on the next bestseller therefore <laughs> your agency is going to collapse. Have a nice day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. The logic doesn't even work, but I get it over and over again. I've gotten that one a lot. I've gotten, um, I got one recently that I didn't, I just didn't know how to respond. And I do wonder if, if, this is a little bit to do with Twitter Mm. and how agents are now engaging so much more with the writing community through Twitter. And I think what that ends up making some writers feel like is that we're a lot more, um, like buddies, Mm. like we're buddies or we're way more accessible than, than we are or should be. And so I've gotten a few now responses to rejections, um, that are like, I'm devastated because I thought you were the agent for me because Mm -hmm. of, you know, all of these, I thought we had so much in common because of all of this stuff that I've seen on your Twitter and and everywhere else. And I don't know what to do now. And like that, you know, I don't know what to do either. I don't, I don't know what to do with that, with that response. And, um, it's, it's kind of baffling, you know? It is kind of strange how we are accessible so much of the time on our Twitter. We are so emotionally accessible. We're so, um, you get to see pictures of what our lives look like, yep. um, our pets. Um, and I think that sometimes gives people the impression that rejection is more personal than it is. Mm-hmm. I think so. And and I that makes me sad because that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also a little it's hard because most of us are using our personal Twitters. We're using our personal accounts to engage and we're choosing it to use that way. But that doesn't mean that we're, you know, super accessible or, or that um, people are entitled to our time and Mm -hmm. our emotional energy in that way. Yeah, I've definitely been on there briefly, you know, on the weekend, a weekend night, and someone will ask me a question that's very Googleable, mm-hmm. And um, it's always kind of rough because it's like, well, hey, it's my Saturday night. I just popped on here for a minute. Like, I'm sorry, I can't answer every single question. And then knowing that they might get mad. And um, it's a fine line, unfortunately. And I do, I do agree. I think it makes querying process and receiving rejections from agents with whom you have engaged or um, who you like that much harder. Well, it's hard on us too, because we like you too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I guess I feel like so much of dealing with Twitter, um, working in a creative field, being a human on this planet is choosing over and over again to stay open. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, you fell down, you hurt yourself, get back up. Like it's it's not gonna serve anybody if you're like, that's it, I'm not talking to anyone, I'm mad. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which makes sense for a short period of time. So do that, dust yourself off. Yeah. Get get back out there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You said it. <laughs> No, I feel like I have to make that choice over and over again, like someone will be really mean to me or demand my time and I don't even know them and then get mad when I can't give it. And yeah, I I never want to be that person who is less, uh, I guess, emotionally available for the writers who are behaving well because some have been behaving badly. Yeah. So if you had Google level funding and the ability to spend 20% of your time building something, what would you make? Um, well, I think if I haven't talked about it enough, I'd probably make a movie or you know uh, a TV show or something. A production that company, be, yeah, that would be so fun, Hannah Land. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh <laughs> my <laughs> god, oh my god, that's the best idea I've ever heard. See, I just saw in your face that you had a vision. I think it involved a building with a logo on the side. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's all of my TV shows, and
1: you all can't see it, she hands. just sort of
0: made jazz hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My name and lights, I'm seeing it all. Oh. <laughs> um, so, we know that you didn't think you were going to end up in New York. Yeah. In your early days, what's one fun memory of life in the city? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, it is, it's interesting because I had never visited New York before we moved out here. And then... Hard pivot into um New York territory and we just didn't have time to plan a visit. Mm-hmm. So everything about living here was a complete discovery those first few months. And um I think we got here in August and Ooh, that's a rough time to it arrive. Live. Rough. <laughs> It was like I'm not cut out for this. You get off the plane, <laughs> flying roaches are like, what up? They were, oh yeah, it was not good. I think I went to a rooftop party within my first week and ended up flicking a cockroach <gasps> off of one of my friend's shoulders. Oh, <laughs> I was like, this is my first cockroach experience. Oh, great. Oh no, so fun. A big one? It was gigantic. I mean, it was, I mean, the width of my cell phone. Eek! About it was okay. huge. It was, it was, and I, ha- I don't think I've seen one that big since. Um, Yeah, he was just really lucky that night. But (laughs) when we once we had been here for a few months and, and, uh, you know, I understood the subway system a little bit. We did New Year's Eve here. Mm -hmm. And it's I don't think we've done anything like this since that year, since that first New Year's Eve. But we just ended up sort of following random groups of our friends around up to like slowly moving up. Uptown. And so we started um, down in the Lower East Side at Rockwood, which is a concert venue, small, small venue, and saw one of our friends' bands there. And then they were like, hey, we're going to dinner um, in Koreatown. So, you know, do you want to join us? And we went and got Korean barbecue for the first nice. time. Where they cook in the table. Uh huh. <laughs> yep. And I had never done that. And I've never done it since because um, I went vegetarian like <laughs> the year after. And then they do actually have a nice mushroom plate in some places. This is good to know. But yeah, and then we we ended up following like two of the people from that group up further uptown to someone's um, house party. And then we moved back down to the um, East Village for a a drink at 2 (laughs) a.m. And it was like, oh, these are things you can do in New York. Like, you can't really do that in other places because. The the subway here is very accessible, like it has a lot of problems, but it's accessible and um, you don't have to drive around everywhere. I think Mm -hmm. in Colorado where I'm from, like you went one place and that was, you know, that was where you went because you didn't want to take an Uber to five different places that you know, it's expensive. Um, Yeah, it was just a very, very quintessentially New York experience and it was really fun. So what's your number one tip for writers? Research. I think, um, and, and what's great about what you do with Manchester Bushlist Academy is you make that really accessible and really possible because it's all out there. You know, there's so much information. There's just, I feel like there's just no reason not to know some of the basics of mm-hmm. what you're doing. If you want to get into publishing, mm-hmm. you know, being a writer is one thing. Being a published writer is a different thing. And it's okay to not want to be a published writer, and you then, you know, you don't have to do any of this stuff. But if you're hoping to get into publishing and you're hoping to secure an agent and, you know, write a manuscript that catches the interest of of the industry, then doing your research is important. And I think I get a lot of people who come to me with really cool concepts that I know if they just do a little bit more research and a little bit more preparation, it'll be awesome. Mm-hmm. And so I think coming prepared and it's out there, it's available, you know, more now than ever. Absolutely. So that said, if you're listening to this podcast, I'd say you're easily in the top 10% in terms of research. Totally. I would say two thirds of my queries. It's very clearly They've done no research whatsoever, but if yeah. you're here, you're doing a good job. Yep. You're doing exactly what I think it's necessary for you to do. And kind of like how you were saying you learn something and you share it with your friend on your podcast. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes having a person break it down and put it in a narrative format can help you too. Yeah. So if you can hear someone talk about it versus just like pages and pages of text and pixels. Yes. I think that humanizes it and it makes it so it sticks in your brain a little bit. Yeah. That is something that, so I, I write a little bit for publishingcrawl.com. And, um, and that's something that I, I try to do in, in the various articles I've written there is give examples of what I'm talking about and try and put it in a, in a form and, and I don't know, in a way that's easily understood and easy Mm -hmm. to grasp. So, so where can people find you online? Um, they can find me, well, obviously we've talked about Twitter, Mm -hmm. So yes, my, my last name is a little hard to, hard to spell and remember, but my handle is Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, Ferguson, F as in Frank, E-R-G-E, S as in Sam, E N. little weird, but it's Ferguson with all E's. So I'm at Hannah Ferguson on Twitter, on Instagram, and you can query me if you are ready to do that. Um at Hannah query at ktliterary.com. Oh yes, I have a podcast. Um, well, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, um, and we are Good Witches, Bad Rhymes with Witches. Or you can find that, um, you can find us at gwbbpodcast.com. And that is that just has all of our episodes. And we are currently revamping our website, but it does it does the job for right now. So Websites take time. Yeah. We know about that. They do. They do. <laughs> we are starting up a Patreon as well. It'll be patreon.com slash GWBB podcast, um, but that's not quite up yet. And we will put those links in the show notes. Thank you. So, Hannah's class is called Structure, Characters, and Narrative Beats. Here's the description. When we talk about structure, we're talking about the narrative framework of your story The Bones of the House the foundation upon which those bones rest. Without those, you have no house. You wouldn't try to put a roof or hang drywall on, well, nothing, right? If you're missing a support beam, the house becomes lopsided and ultimately collapses. Well, it's the same with story. Though genre does generally determine conventions or some of the building blocks with which a story is built, no matter your story, there is a core structural framework. In this class, we'll learn the rules and how to break them, the math behind the mystery, the formulae that support unique stories. With Hannah's background in film, you'll learn how these two mediums together show the hidden workings of stories, whether you notice them or not, and how to make them work so your book maintains tension, momentum, and keeps an agent reading. You can get your ticket for this class at manuscriptacademy.com structure. Tickets are $25. You know we love food metaphors, so that is more than a coffee, but less than a dinner out. There'll be a live Q&A with Hannah on Wednesday, April 24th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So you got a recorded, edited class, which was really fun to film, and also a live Q&A with Hannah. We hope to see you there. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our First Pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with First Pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.